0: I'm here with my producer Shaz, who is going to also be part of this this conversation yeah. because it's lovely to have a balance between a female and a male approach mm-hmm. and a Absolutely. point of view about about sexuality. Mm-hmm. So Shaz is going to be asking lots of interesting questions, aren't you, Shaz? I am.
1: <laughs> Far away,
2: Shaz. I am. We're all... <laughs> I'm listening first. I'm listening first. I'm listening first. A I'm listen. listening. And then he'll
0: jump in when he feels organically that that's right for him. Yeah, yeah sure, 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 so
2: sure.
0: It will be very organic, and and Jaz is very respectful. You, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, well uh, I'm, I'm not worried about respect. You can go for it.
3: Very <coughs> true. <than> <laughs> Ask anything.
0: So this is Charlotte Palmer from the Mothership Connected. And I'm here with Colin Richards, a sex and relationship engineer, teacher and speaker on sexual intimacy and relationships. Hello, Colin.
2: Hello. Hi. <laughs> nice to see you, Charlotte.
0: Thank you so much for being here with me, Colin. I really appreciate it. I went to see you at a Funzin talk uh, quite some time ago. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. uh, really enjoyed your talk. I found you fascinating. Thank you. And you had so many different, interesting approaches to sexuality and sex, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I thought I'd invite yeah. you and we'd do a podcast.
2: Absolutely. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm honoured to be here and yeah. I'm happy to talk about it. Amazing. Thank you. In whatever so, way, shape or form you So want. I'm
0: looking, looking at your little leaflet. It says here that you've been working in the field of psychosexual health and well-being since 2005. And you've helped over 6,000 people discover many different approaches to dealing with sexual challenges that are not generally covered by conventional methods so that's really interesting so what tell us a little bit more about being a sexual relationship engineer what does that actually mean what it is
2: well the word engineer was something that i came up with a couple of years back um i've been working in this field to say for uh, 16 years but Uh, in its current form probably about seven to eight years and in the early days you know I trained as a therapist I trained as a psychosexual therapist Mm -hmm. I didn't really like the word therapist because it kind of implied that anybody who came to see me had to have something wrong with them but actually I felt there was a there was a big need out there for enhancement and education in the world of sexuality not just solving people's problems so therapist didn't really sit very well with me And then there was the word mentor, coach, all sorts of other words I'd banded around with, but all of them sort of didn't work. And then one day I was talking to a chap and he was a sound engineer. And I started started thinking about this word engineer, looked it up on the Internet, had a quick look in the the, theosaurus. My son was a chemical engineer at university. I thought, actually, this word's quite interesting. And it is a combination of putting putting elements together to make the whole thing function correctly, whether it's an engine or a computer or whatever it is. And so I I thought, well, this applies to a human body and whether, you know, from the the point of view of our sexuality, it's not just a physical sexual thing. It's anthropological, it's a biological, it's psychological, it's an emotional, it's a sexual. There's so many elements that come to it. And sometimes parts of that work very well and other parts don't. So Mm -hmm. it's about re-engineering someone's whole sexual and psychosexual dynamic um, wow. to help them move forward in the way they want to uh, function and enjoy their sex life. Wow,
0: sounds amazing.
2: So... Or simply put, someone asked me the <laughs> other day, I said, well, I'm a sex therapist, yeah. but I, I go under the bonnet and get my hands oily. Oh,
0: wow, well, OK. So that's the simple <laughs> <laughs> So what, what got you into this? It's such an interesting topic, isn't it? Why? why why? Well, it is a very
2: long story, but yes. in, in a nutshell, I grew up, um, I, I am my own case study to a point, and I think anybody who works in this sort of area of work with other people, one has to look at yourself first. So Definitely. there's a point of reference there. Yeah. I grew up in a hotel. I was born into a hotel. I was the youngest of four children by 11 years. Um, and living, growing up and then living and running a hotel was my introduction to psychology, basically. I didn't go to university to study psychology. I sat there and watched the world in front of me, thousands of people over 20, 30 years of just understanding behavior. So from the point of view of the fascination of, around people's behavior and the emotions, um, I was sort of kind of on the rock face. Uh, my interest in sort of sexuality, I suppose, goes back to, and intimacy goes back to, again, when I was young, I, like a lot of people in my generation growing up in the 50s, well, the 60s, 70s, I came from a parental generation that wasn't particularly intimate and open sexually. Um, and so, you know, I was always hankering after the intimacy, but also I found the whole way sex was presented. I always remember looking at a a, a billboard advertising the Exorcist and Last Tango in Paris. I was about 14 years old and great. both and both were great graded as X and mm-hmm. I think I remember thinking, "Well, how can you compare the two? Yes. One is horror and yeah. the other is natural, beautiful human interaction." Yeah.
0: Great film that, Last Tango in Paris. Mm. One of my favorite films. And
2: Fantastic. and so then in those days it was it was always a question mark. So yeah. that was where the thoughts came from. Cut a very long story short, I started training in uh, massage in 1995. I wanted to learn how to give a massage because I was facing major changes in my personal life and business life uh, with regard to the business. Didn't ever imagine I would do it professionally. Found out I was quite good at it. Put my hand up one day in the class and said to the teachers in front of the other 15 um, students, what happens if your client gets around? (laughs) And nobody had an answer. And again, I thought, here we are in a room practicing something that's incredibly intimate it's yeah. going to happen if all the places we should be yes. talking about this this is it yeah. but even the nurses who were teaching us they were fully qualified you know well-experienced nurses one of them giggled and the other one basically took her hand and sort of said oh I just grab it and then whack it on the top oh my
0: goodness and it
2: was just bizarre sort <laughs> yeah, of attitude of oh my god we're still stuck in our sort of very much British sexes being sidelined here yeah. so when I went into it as a therapist a massage therapist I started bringing in that conversation and mentioning arousal yes. very quickly, people started talking to me about their own sexual problems that then drove me to go and actually mm. train as a psychosexual therapist. And then I decided to bring the two together. So I'm an unusual uh, animal in the sense that I touch and talk, right? Um, which okay. means well, I've had to go it alone and not be part of the...
0: very liberating considering we, uh, the Brits generally, we're a bit repressed, aren't we? We're a bit repressed in the UK. Uh, or oh, we have uh, been yeah, we, really I, we, be. we,
2: ha- we are i wouldn't say we're repressed i would say that there's a lot of confusion right i think if you look at the way what is going on in britain now yes. it, there's an awful lot in the world of sexuality coming through in the last 15 20 years it's changed a lot yes go back um but actually when you start talking to people from other cultures and countries you realize the uk is actually ca- driving ahead Italy, very suppressed. The Americans, very confused. Uh, Eastern Europeans and uh, Russia have a very set way of looking at their sexuality. Uh, You know, I would say the Danes are probably on a par with us, maybe a bit further ahead. You know, the Scandinavians, Mm -hmm. uh, the Swedes, they have quite conservative views around sexuality. It's much more about health. So I think the Brits, we're much more adventurous than I think we give ourselves credit for.
0: Nature or nurture, then?
2: I would say it's uh, definitely a combination of the two. Uh, nature from the point of view of the dynamic that we are born with, which can be genetic, can be a biological, but I think it's also hormonal and how our brain patterning is created through our pregnancy. And so I see people starting uh, uh, with a template, the moment we're born, we're then influenced by the world and what goes on around us. So a bit like you and I going out and buying a laptop together, we will probably buy, you know, very similar laptops with the same software hardware. But if in a year later we go back to it, your laptop and my laptop will look very different yes. according to what's been programmed into it. And we are no different. And they say that the first three years of our, of our life is when that, all that programming is going in. Mm. And that will continue to have an effect for the rest of our lives. So what I try to do is maybe someone comes to me in their their 30s or 40s, I will go back to that period and look under the age of seven to 10 years old and find out what has gone on to program that person to behave that way that is now displaying itself and presenting itself in the bedroom or in their sex lives, you know, the fear of Upsetting somebody, fear of not letting go, maybe yeah. being over-dominant, under-dominant, maybe their own orientation, all sorts of things will come through.
0: And, and, and trauma.
2: And How of course trauma. Impact? Yeah. I mean, obviously yeah.
0: impact. A lot of people have had trauma in their childhood, more people than we could e- ever even imagine.
2: Well, again, the word and trauma, one assumes that trauma is always going to be of a particular type, but actually yes. trauma can be... It can be just a loss of a parent, yeah. you know, in childhood. Yeah, yeah. It can be an abandonment. Yes. It can be maybe simply the fact that you don't have any siblings and you are the only child.
0: A lot of people would frame the word trauma as something really, really awful happening to them. It could be anything from sexual abuse, or to be emotional and mental abuse,
4: mm-hmm.
0: or like you said, just loss of somebody mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it could be anything. Um, that
2: causes
0: a sense of trauma. Mm. I mean, you
2: know, and it, and and there is an irony in the sense that sometimes the bigger the trauma, the more yes. uh, shocking the trauma in childhood, the more likely that person is going to recognise they have that trauma, and they will then do something about it later on. Mm. In other words, it, the, the the trauma itself takes them uh, takes them to a place of recovery. Some people who have sort of less trauma yes. don't see it as a trauma. Therefore, don't do anything about it. So sit with it. And it continues in their lives all the way through until maybe it never gets dealt with. Because it's not. So so a lot of the people that I see who come to me um, have have made those very assertive decisions. You know, I've never had an orgasm. I can't get an erection. Uh, I'm scared of this. I'm scared of that or whatever. And so they then get so frustrated they do something about it. A lot of the people I would like to see more of are those people going, yeah, well, everything's okay. Yeah, I've been with this person for 15 years and everything's all right. But, you know, and just living with the situation when actually there is something there. Why are you living with that person who is not really fulfilling you? There must be something there for you to actually look at. And, you know, you've got maybe a happy home, happy this, whatever. But there's a frustration there. Those are the people that need to also come and deal with their stuff to actually maybe renegotiate their relationship but they don't because the trauma's not strong enough.
0: Right. It's interesting, isn't it, how it kinda of like kinda of rumbles under the surface mm. and it just kind of... make do basically. Yeah.
2: Mm. They just make do. Yeah, they make do. do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I yeah. chef at a nursery and, and some of the little children trauma is different to everybody, mm. you know. Some of the kids, like if they drop a bit of toast on the floor, that's trauma for them. Mm. You know, mm. they crying cry their eyes out or if another kid pokes them or something, you know, it's like Ahh! You know, but, but different levels of trauma, mm, mm.
4: It,
0: it, it's all about how we respond to that trauma and, and then how we, um, how can I say, uh, file it away in our body bank, you know? Mm, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I can definitely see how it impacts people and how um, people do get dis- sexual dysfunction from these traumas that they've kind of buried so deep mm-hmm. that they're not even um, aware of it, mm-hmm. but it's there. And this, this sexual dysfunction is actually, a lot of the time, really getting in the way of really enjoying what is... Yeah, we're all, I you mean, know, we deserve. Or we all deserve a good sex life, yeah, right? I
2: mean, it's interesting. Uh, I try not to use words like dysfunction because, yes. for instance, the word erectile dysfunction. Yes. Actually, it's erectile overfunction because... <laughs> The cock is doing exactly what it's meant to do. It's just doing it at the wrong time. <laughs> right. You know, it's not That's that so it's, there's a dysfunction there because yes. the guy loses his erection. It's yes. because his body's getting anxious, right. and so therefore the body, everything's going. The last thing I want to do is have sex because I'm under threat, mm. and so it doesn't. What one has to look at is what is causing the anxiety, which can be that early life trauma of I must get it right. And say you know, let's to give you an example of that, that more softer end of trauma can be a child. Let's take it's a male child growing up with uh, a single mum. And, you know, obviously they have a very close, strong relationship. He adores his mum. Mum adores him. She's very protective. The unconscious message he might be getting is the world is dangerous out there because she's constantly looking at, she doesn't want to lose him because he's the only child she's got, and he's boundaried. And so he might also think unconsciously, or might he become aware unconsciously, that mum is always a little bit stressed, so I've got to do things to make mum happy. Now, when that little child grows into an adult and he starts having relationships with other people, male or female, his natural tendency, the closer that person is with him intimately, he will fall into the relationship dynamic that he had with his mum because that's the most... primary intimate relationship he had and suddenly all that anxiety will come up and his erection will go down and he won't connect it back to being a nine-year-old child helping mum clean the kitchen up or helping mum do this so I have to go back and say look we have to let that go now when when you were eight nine years old yes it was important that you manage your situation like that because she was in charge of your food your nurture whatever but you're now a 28 year old guy you're independent you can let that part of you go, so that you don't get anxious in, in in the bedroom.
0: It makes perfect sense, Colin, and it's interesting because that 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 what you're talking about that particular example that that case history that won't just be in the bedroom, will it? That'll be all over his life, right? Mm,
2: absolutely, yeah. yeah. Be everywhere, yeah. Like yeah, everywhere. How
0: he interacts with women, like his emotional stability, maybe even in the office, mm. it could be it could be everywhere and all over the place. Yes. Mm. So what you're doing is you're setting him free from something that's
2: holding him back in life. Yes, yeah, so initially making him aware of what's going on. So to give you an example of a case study uh, recently, one, uh, I, I run workshops teaching <laughs> mm-hmm. men how to give essential massage to women, women how to give central massage to men but in essence it's teaching foreplay and sex play to actually oh. extend the whole sort of sexual encounter and also taking the emphasis off penetration oh. um because again there's a very particularly where men are concerned there's this over focus of that's what i've got to do and actually and often it's that's all i can do they don't actually have the do ability to do more sorry to cut across yeah. do, you,
1: do you find that some women also think that
2: way oh absolutely 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 Um, And I'll come on to that point with another comment, actually. But just tell you about this case study, this guy, he came along to a workshop, 48 years old, tall, attractive, good looking Mm -hmm. from a country of you'd associate with tall, good looking, attractive sort of (laughs) dynamic men and everything. And everything was fine. And he enjoyed it. Three days later, he phones me up and he says, I need to come and see you because I'm having problems. Uh, in the bedroom. That's all he sort of, anyway, kind of mm. long story short, as they say, it turned out that he was having erection problems. It had been for about eight, nine years, and it was having a massive effect on his self-esteem. Even in the workplace, he wasn't feeling the person he used to be. He was finding it difficult going out dating because he was always worrying about the fact that he was going to disappoint people. Couldn't understand where it was coming from. First thing I had to get to him to understand was to to give himself a little bit of leeway my question to him was did you do a sport when you were young he said yes football okay do you play football now yes and uh when you play football now do you do, you do the, are you in the same position no i used to be a center forward what was the best thing about being oh scoring the goals i said so now when you're playing what are you doing he said oh i'm usually one of the backs and what do you enjoy about football now i like the camaraderie the social bit i'm not so i said so you've completely re-evaluated how you play football but you haven't re-evaluated how you play, have sex you're still expecting to have sex as an 18-year-old with your body performing like an 18-year-old. Surely you've got to give yourself a little bit of leeway here. You're 48 years old now. You're not the same guy in the bedroom as you were when you were 18. So initially it was getting him to go, hmm, that's true. Then it was actually working out why the anxiety was there. And in his particular case, he, he he was an only child, had loving parents, but mum worked nights, father was always busy. And so he was actually quite an independent, quite lonely child. And... His core belief underneath it all was, I'm not of value because my parents aren't around. He said, I had all the freedom I wanted, but actually I wanted a bit of boundary. Yeah. So as a 48-year-old, he still needs to feel that he is good enough because his body's older, because that tipping point of do I get an erection, don't I get an erection is going to be much more sensitive as he gets older. The anxiety that in the past was being contained or rather over, overshadowed by his virility is now being affected by the fact that the anxiety comes down, uh, comes up as am I good enough and, and the tipping point has become more sensitive. So now he's losing his erection. And he's now avoiding relationships.
0: Well, isn't that the fundamental issue of lots of people in <coughs> lots of ways, is that the, the feeling that you're just not good enough or you're not enough. Mm-hmm. And, and the fear of rejection as well is a huge one. Would you not agree? I would. But
2: I think, again, <laughs> that, that, that the paradox there is that that is a basic core human survival strategy. Yes. We are a herding species. Yes. And, you know, if if we all walked out onto the plains of Africa on our own, we'd get eaten by the wolves, the tigers, whatever. So we have to herd together. Now, if nature is going to embody a species with an ability or a tendency to herd together, surely... Making that species feel insecure about themselves is the way to get them to cluster together. So we've got no teeth, we've got no claws, we can't defend ourselves. So the only thing we can do is A, develop brains, which we've done, but also to work together. And we have to be part of a group. I mean, you only have to look at the way society now plays on that. Yes. Because we are innately insecure. Our insecurity is what keeps us alive.
0: Right, that's an interesting.
2: Um... And then society and the media play on that and go, if you don't do this, you're not good enough. If you don't have a hairdo, you know, yeah. your breasts are small enough, yeah. your this is that. I mean, every I level. am dividing. And for, and for males and females, the male dynamic fundamentally to, 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 <clears throat> to have a relevance is to be approved of. Because if a male isn't approved of, he doesn't have sex. Right. If he doesn't have sex, he doesn't pass his genetic line on. And for hundreds and thousands of years, no male on the planet actually knew they were the father of a child until we had DNA testing. So males are programmed to go out and get as much sex as they can in order to secure their genetic line. The female, on the other hand, has a much broader brief in the sense that she needs to make sure that A, she gets pregnant, produces an offspring but that the offspring survives then her genetic line is secure Mm. so hers is much broader and so the fundamental dynamic of the female is to be desired and the male is to be approved of so if you tell a male that what he's doing is wrong he gets insecure if you tell a female that she's not desirable she gets insecure makes
0: perfect sense Colin to be honest and I've, I've been in that position where I felt very you know not, not desirable or insecure, mm. purely because the other person was insecure and that kind of mm. triggered my insecurities. I can see that. I wanted to ask you about the word performance, actually, because I think that the word performance puts a lot of pressure on men and I don't see sex as being a performance.
2: No, I agree with you. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, it is... It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean we we tend to see you know affecting sexual performance. It's it's a sexual it's sexual fulfillment. Yes. Mm. And and fulfillment can come in any any way shape or form. Doesn't have to be doesn't have to be any of that side yeah. of things.
1: It can just be the fact you're together.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I agree with you absolutely. I think we put too much emphasis on on it being being something. And I think maybe that's what what we need to reevaluate is our relationship with our sexuality in general. And for, you know far too long uh, we've we've marginalised it and said you can only have a sexual encounter if you're in a relationship, uh, i.e., you know, family and children and reproduction, or you're indulgent. Mm. You know, and that was the two ways. But people don't think about it It's a healthy pastime. The fact that our bodies need that stimulation, we need the physical intimacy. Emotionally, it's an, an immensely powerful thing because it makes us feel that we belong. Mm. So uh, I would love to <coughs> go to the gym one day. And turn right to do their exercises and turn left to do their sex exercises. I don't see any reason why you can't regard your genitals in the same way your biceps or your triceps. Yes. It's a part of the body that needs it, particularly women. And, you know, vaginal uh, muscular exercise is crucial to, to well-being as well as all the hormonal aspects of it as well. God, that,
0: that's such an interesting approach. Um, things that men don't talk about.
2: Uh, there is, uh, there's
0: probably millions of them right?
2: I get, uh, <laughs> get a little story a little story to yes. to highlight and where I cuz it is interesting yes. this. Um, well it goes back to what I just said about the male seeking approval the female se- to be desired. Yes. So the f- yes. if you think about it when when women get together and you know I, I, we have to be careful here not to become overfocused focused on the traditional heterosexual relationship. Obviously, this can be multi sexuality, multi gendered, multi everything, it's more about the makeup of the people. So whether you're trans, bi, this, that, whatever, whatever combination you are. <laughs> you know, 47 <laughs> yeah. different yeah. categories oh, now. So, <laughs> I'm encompassing everybody here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but fundamentally, we, we, there, the, if you're on the more of the female side of that equation, there is a sense of wanting to be desired. The male, it's about approval. Yes. And obviously some people have both going on at the same time.
0: Mm. So
2: um, the, um, I can't remember what the question was. Things
0: men don't talk about. Oh, men
2: don't talk about. So <laughs> interestingly, women will sit down and they will discuss things about how to be more desirable. What can I do to be more desirable? Mm. Where's the good hairdresser? How can I get that dress there? Whatever. Mm. Guys will not sit down and say, I want to be better at something, because if I have to say to you, I want to be better at something, particularly sex, it's implying I'm not good enough, which means <laughs> I am going to fail when you come to select your mate. You're going to go for him and not me because I'm actually revealing. So we, we have this innate fear of revealing our inadequacies. So a few a few years ago, I did a, a talk an evening where <coughs> I had uh, I had 10 men as a panel, and I had forty women coming along, and they could ask the men anything they liked about sex. Oh my sex. God, It sounds amazing. And it was the first time I ever did it, and uh, I was a little nervous. So mm. I got the women. I said, "Look, if you if you're a bit embarrassed about asking, questions well, just write it down on a piece of paper, and I'll put it in it." Nobody was writing anything down. Mm. They were all gossiping. I'm thinking, Christ, this is <laughs> going to be horrendous. They're not going to say anything. <laughs> Microphone comes out. First person I go up to. And I'm expecting something about love or relationship. Yeah. She says, yeah, can, how do I give a good blowjob?" First question. And that microphone went around the room for 45 Excellent. minutes purely on that subject. Isn't few that weeks, interesting? And it never stopped. I, I yeah. never had to go to a piece of paper. Questions were firing all I over bet. the place. A few wow. weeks later, a <laughs> few weeks later, I did the reverse. And I had women in the panel yes. and men in the audience. Yeah. Whereas I had 50 women, I managed to scrape 22 men. Whereas the women came in groups. Yeah. With friends, all the men came individuals. I think it was one, two guys who came together as sort of friends, you know, but all of them were individuals. Asked them to write their questions down. They were writing bloody essays. This bucket filled up with notes. It took an hour and 20 minutes before I actually got a man to verbally ask me a question. I had to go to that bucket and pull out mm. the questions. But not only that, I was going, OK, so this person who wants to know about oral sex, do women like giving blowjobs? Who asked that question?
1: <laughs> they, oh, would, they wouldn't wow. even own up to the Extraordinary. question. Wow.
2: That's so,
1: amazing. Does that, then, does that say a lot about where you're doing it? As in, as in OK, here in England, we're very, we tend to be,
2: in general quite um i think it would be i haven't yeah. done it in different countries i don't know but i mean i was doing it in a place called a home house a private members club so you and had different house. nationalities oh, yes. you had different in fact actually i would say in the male audience 50 percent were probably not british as in but, but again
1: where but where from because i think that does play a part you know
2: because uh, yeah i mean it, it depends might,
1: on how be, they are as far as how much they talk about it is
2: i don't know you see i i bet you if you did it in somewhere like Denmark, Scandinavia, maybe they would be more forthcoming, but I think the Italians are very reserved when it comes to revealing. Yeah, well, again, well
1: the Italians are more.
2: Yeah. The, uh, the Middle East, you know, uh, they okay. don't want to reveal that they're not good enough. Yeah. You know, we are very Wherever the, uh, particularly Eastern Europe, the Eastern European men tend to be sort of the big, sort of masculine, you know, we don't need yeah. to ask questions, we just get on with it. So I, I'm not sure which male culture would be the most open. Yeah.
1: I, I agree with I that. I just, I just wonder because, as I say, I sort of think that yeah. exactly what you're saying. I think that's part of it. I think the actual, actually, the fact is, is that the expectations that you have as a male or as a female or as as a society, whether it be Italians,
2: I think. It, I think if you were doing the same thing but with a gay audience, yes. you probably wouldn't have the same problem. Totally, I think gay men would be much more open to ask questions. But then again, you think about it. You're changing the dynamic. They're not looking for approval and desire because actually it's guys together, if you see what I mean. There's yes. a different dynamic going on there. So I think, yeah, I mean, that's why I think the gay community is much more open. You just have to compare the apps and you look at apps like Grindr compared to some of the more straight apps. I mean, Grinder is, you know, there's a load of stuff there and the way approach it. I remember many years ago comparing gaydar men and gaydar women the same template profiles but were being dealt with in very different ways mm. about how they approached it so i think it, it, it yeah i mean i think um, in same-sex communities you might have a big difference asking questions maybe that's my next talk actually maybe mm. i should do male male I
0: think
2: and then mm. female female as well yeah
0: women like to talk with each other a lot you know there's mm-hmm. lots of things that women like to talk about we much i think that women are much more open than men about sharing and talking. I think men don't have an, an outlet or an avenue to, to talk to each other about yeah. what's going and on. And,
2: again, the media, you can see that in the media. Yeah. Women's media is much more involved and supportive and yes. giving solutions. Male media, even generally, you know, male media is about, you know, what you should be and how you should drive mm. this car and how you should have that type of clothing, you know, there's, there's a, it doesn't go into this. You don't hear Mouse the sense story.
1: Problem solving, as in, oh, well, we can do... If we do this, we'll do that, yeah, yeah. that'll sort it out. Yeah. And it's not always about that, isn't it? No. Uh, it, no. It's, it, sometimes it is about just... Hey, let's just talk and see mm. where it ends up. Mm. But, yeah, I tend to agree with you.
2: In I way. mean, you never hear a guy, you know, very few men will turn to their best mate the next day and go, yeah, I was having sex last night and I couldn't come. <laughs> they, they just wouldn't say that, you know. Yeah. He pretended I mean, everything was fine, you know. I, yeah. I
0: mean, I asked a, a friend of mine and he just laughed and said, I said, could you ask any of your male friends who have got any questions for this podcast? And he'd laugh All he oh, my friends says that they've had really great sex. It was fantastic. She had fabulous tits and they went on all, all night. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's what they say to each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So men say that they're obsessed with their
2: performance. Mm, mm, no, it's true. It's very true. Yes.
0: And you just laughed. You said, "Oh, none of my friends are going to tell me if anything went wrong,
2: are they?" Yeah, very true. Well, if you remember when I think when you when the archetypes that I did at one of the talk, the talk you came to a talk about fast lane drivers, slow lane drivers, yes, and the yes. arch older guys, and I, it is a very glib way of putting it. But what's interesting is that when I do my workshops yes. for killing kittens or for any of the other organisations that I do them when it's men coming to learn to enhance their abilities with women, mm. I talk about these archetypes and I now have no worries about, about asking this and I'll often say, right, okay, here are the archetypes, now let's see what professions are in the room. And I think I've probably done 20 male to female and I, and so on average there's 12, 10 to 12 men in the room. So we're talking mm. well over 130 men over that period. I would guess that there's only ever been one, maybe two fast lane drivers. The reason is Mm -hmm. those types of males very much are i don't need to come and learn so why would i need to go to workshops so the ones that i see are very much the slow lane drivers who are the men who are usually in professions like human resources hospitality very people-focused professions and Mm -hmm. and they tend to be a little bit more reserved they don't want to do anything to upset so sexually Mm. they've got to a point where they've been told by their partners you know you need to do more or you need to be a bit more exciting more adventurous so they're learning yeah the hard-shoulder guys are more the academics, they're the IT programmers, they're the engineers and they tend to look at things in quite a sort of structured, processed way and they approach sex in that way. So I now know how to have sex, so I will always do it that way. Mm. And a lot of those will go into BDSM or Tantra because they like a sort of process around it. Those are, those two groups are very willing to learn.
4: Mm.
2: But the banker, I hate to say, yes. it, the banker, <laughs> the politician, yes. the heavy-duty sales guy, very difficult to get them to come along because they they just cannot believe that they don't know enough. Yeah. So there is a bit of a catch 22 there. The ones that really need to learn just won't even step into the classroom. There,
1: yeah.
2: You know. Yeah,
0: that's interesting, isn't it? I do remember thinking oh, which one which one of mine I I felt that I was sort of a gravitate kind of hovering between the two as like a kitten hen and something else. I can't remember the other the other one else now. But you had quite a few, mm. didn't you? But they they were very interesting. But I couldn't quite feel that I was just one. Like, is that possible? To no, be two? no, no.
2: What I say to these guys once oh, we I said, look, you here are the three types. Yeah. And, and to the women, you know, here, here are the three types. So think about your partners, your boyfriends yes. and what have you. Because women will have a tendency to go to a type. Yes. And then that's why they say, well, I'm always with guys that never seem to care about me. Well, yeah. That's because they're always focused on the fast lane driver who <laughs> believes that your <laughs> orgasm is his achievement. So right. once he's done that, he, he just walks out. Yes. But if she has a tendency to go to that personality yes. type, that's her life around sexuality. She's never experienced it the other way. So for both. But what I say is that actually... Women, females want all three in one male. Yes. So actually, the slow lane driver needs to learn to be a bit more fast lane. The fast lane driver needs to be a bit more hard shoulder and hard shoulder. So what I try to do is get them to recognise what their more predominant personality type is or archetype is. And then to say, right, I am very process driven. I now need to chill out a little bit and be a bit more laid back, but maybe also a bit more assertive. So the other day I did a workshop two days ago. and I've got a husband and wife. situation where she's been coming to the they've been together 10 years and she's been coming to the workshop women learning on men so she's been learning on male volunteers and he's been coming to the male learning on women and obviously they're going back home and practicing a bit of homework and he came along to this one last week which was the intermediate which is a more in-depth and quite involved workshop and his big challenge his confidence you know he's quite slightly built and you could see that he's quite he's obviously very kind very gentle she also is quite shy so you've got two people who sexually are a little bit reserved and it's probably all a bit and both afraid to do anything that's going to upset the other but both Mm. desperately wanting something to happen
4: yes
2: after this workshop at the end of it he came up to me and the, the latter part I actually went up to him I said right while you're doing what you're doing. And he was doing stuff with his hands. And then I said, I want you to grunt like a caveman. And he sort of looked at me like, I said, come on, I want to hear some noise. <laughs> and you could get him to just, just oh, I said, just make a little groan and grunt because that will help her because if she hears your passion, it'll turn her on more. Yeah. Afterwards, he came up to him and he went, I think I've discovered my caveman. <laughs> and you could see this beaming smile. Yeah, he would suddenly yes. tapped into this and yeah. part of him that he didn't know was there. And now he's going to hopefully take it back and be a bit more fast lane driver and Mm. go for it.
0: To the listeners here obviously i was at that yeah. that, that talk and i mm. i had a worksheet on all the different yeah. archetypes do, when we talk about archetypes we talk about the jungian archetypes no the they're archetypes? ones that are
2: are basically ones that i've just made up through Amazing. observation well
0: well done for that <laughs> <laughs> so and we, i just hey, needed to sense. label them so give us you, you you know. a little overview of some of the archetypes just yeah i rub mean, rub well, well in things. the male
2: one as i said the fast yeah. i i uh, generally speaking i've seen patterns it's more about yes. seeing patterns oh, yeah. and um, for the age of the talks, I've given them names. Uh, the faster <coughs> lane driver style type male tends to be men who are coming from a firstborn pregnancy or pregnancy that's stressed. My take on that is that nature, very cleverly, if the pregnancy is a stressed pregnancy, and we've got to look back to hundreds of thousands of years here.
3: Hmm. So
2: if 350,000 years ago, the female who is pregnant is under stress, it means there's no food or there's danger. So nature is going to have to say, we've got to keep this species going. So that offspring that she's producing has got to come out with characteristics that are going to survive. So it's got to be self-interested, aggressive, um, non-empathetic, all about me. And it's basically I've got to come out fighting and fucking. It's as simple as that. Mm. And so that type of male... I see that if if a male or female, for that matter, comes from a stressed pregnancy, which often is the firstborn because the firstborn pregnancy tends to be a little bit more stressed, there will be a (coughs) sense that they'll be more competitive, they'll be a little bit more self-centered, maybe more more non-empathetic, etc. Now, if that if that offspring then goes into, we're talking about nature nurture. If that offspring then goes into an environment where their competitiveness, their self-centeredness is enhanced by the fact that they have parents who say, you've got to be the best, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. They then might end up becoming very fast lane. In other words, they've had the nurture that's put them one way, and then they've had the the nature, and then the nurture has then re-emphasized it. And they might end up in an industry that is, you know, they're running hedge funds, and it's all about the money, and it's Mm. all about building the empire. But you know, fundamentally they're just striving all the way to be the best uh, and they don't care about the people they step on on the way there. So you've got that, that's the ultimate fast lane driver, but there are degrees of that. Mm. Slow lane driver might be something else. I've often seen with slow lane drivers, they're generally a second, third or fourth born children. Yeah. The further down so the line true. it's the more so chilled true. pregnancy. Mm. Nature's way of saying, look, it's not a dangerous world out there. Your job as, 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 an, as a human being coming into this species is to... Um, is to grow the community, be more communicative, to have more uh, contact with both males and females, to support the community. So they tend to be more empathetic naturally uh, and more sort of other people-focused and more creative. All of those (coughs) elements come through. Um, And if that's then accentuated by that person as a youngster, uh, a, a second or third born child will often try to find their place in the family by doing things. You know, mum's doing this, dad's doing that, maybe I'll do this or I'll do that. And they're very and they're looking at the world from down here up. They're seeing all the stuff that's going on. So that can re-emphasize. So they may go into hospitality, human resources. They may go into accountancy, anything that's about building relationships. Now, the fundamental thing about them sexually is that because they're very good at building relationships, They're also very fearful about doing the wrong thing and upsetting the relationship. So sexually they can be like, I would really love to pick you up and throw you and take you now, but I won't because I don't want to offend you. And so the the female partner's going, for God's sake, do something. And they're they're at that end of the scale. So, and then the the hard shoulder guy is very much the academic. They tend to to be very uh, intellectual types and they process everything. In other words, I'm not going to do this unless I can do it the best. So they will read the re- they will read the recipe book before they bake the cake. Um, the fast lane driver won't bake the cake anyway. But the slow lane driver he'll never finish the cake. You know. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the men. Women, it's yeah. much broader. Um, It's much more difficult to compartmentalise females, but generally speaking, it's the same sort, but I see it in a slightly different way. So the equivalent of the fast lane driver is, is the firstborn female. So she might be a very confident woman. She might be out there, you know, CEO of the company, Um, often this is accentuated by the fact that she's maybe come from a background where she's either had to fight for her own independence, her own security, her own safety, or she's had a difficult relationship with a male figure in childhood. You know, I've got to be the best. I've got to protect myself. So she has a, the the paradox here is that she desperately, in order to maintain her sense of confidence and and security and uh, self-worth, she has to stay in charge. And she doesn't trust anybody else because if she trusts anybody else, her world may collapse. Mm. But underneath all that, she's a female and she wants to be desired. And she wants to completely let go because once upon a time, she (laughs) would lie in the trees and have sex and she would trust the other monkeys to hold her while she's having sex. But she can't find a man who will allow her to do that. So she'll end up often going with a guy who is maybe the young office buck or something like that, where she can pretend to let go, but ultimately she knows that she has desperately, she's looking for that strong, um, not not paternal male, but that male that's going to take all the responsibility away from her just for that those few hours where she can just completely let go. So there is a paradox, and often those women do struggle with orgasm because the brain just won't let go. Um, then you've got the uh, other end of the scale, you've got... Um, the women who come from cultures where their sexuality is very repressed um or they come from lifestyles and professions where they're very repressed so uh, I may have mentioned it at the talk but many years ago again at one of my talks a lady came up to me and said that she had this fantasy that, that she'd teacher. never yeah, yeah. <laughs> that she'd never she'd never uh, mentioned uh, it before and she I was so remember. embarrassed by it and it was so awkward and how and how I'm so I feel so bad about it eventually I got at a moving to the next room and she whispered in my ear, I want to have sex with 10 men at the same time. And I went, OK, but it's not that bad. I was expecting far worse. And she sort of looked at me and I said, well, can I guess what profession you are? And she said, well, OK. And I said, well, I think you might be a teacher. But more importantly, I think you might be a primary school teacher. And yes. With that, she collapsed on the floor and went, how did you know? I said, because you're the third primary school teacher this year who's had that very same fantasy. <laughs> so that got me looking Isn't at that it. Amazing? And then And then looking at other groups. So I often find with women who have come from backgrounds that where the sexuality is repressed or contained from cultural or religious reasons. The fantasy just goes up and up and up and up because the body is saying, I want this, but the environment around them is saying you can't have it. So the best thing, particularly with the internet, is just to go on the internet and fantasize, fantasize, fantasize. So you've got that extreme where... Very little experience, but amazing fantasies and probably lots of masturbation going on. And, you know, their bodies are really excited. They just don't know where to take it. Mm. So you've got that type. And then then you've got the middle ground where, you you know, you have got, in effect, the slow lane driver where she's very caring. So someone who goes into a profession that is beauty therapy or uh, maybe maybe it is accountancy, stuff like that, where they're building relationships, they can... Sometimes in the sexual sense, they will be over-focused on making it good for their partners and forget about themselves. In other words, you know, I love having this experience. I love having you giving me this massage. But while you're doing that, I still need to be touching you to make sure that you're happy. You know, and this is going on. It's like, no, come on. It's all about you. No, no, no. I need I will only relax if I know you're relaxed. You know, and they can't break away from that, making sure the other person's happy. Um, so yes, there are, but it, I mean, it is a much broader, broader, uh, landscape with women because there's so many. So I would say there's over a hundred archetypes for female and oh. I, I wouldn't even guess to label them all. So I men are much it, easier. Yeah.
0: Oh
1: yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying that I'm men sorry? are simplistic or are you saying
2: uh,
1: that? <laughs> no, it's, it's an easy, it's an easier thing to deal with because as you say, because men have one main drive. That's precarious.
2: Yeah, That's it awesome. is. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Yeah, survive and procreate. Exactly. Yeah. So We've got to much survive, much so we have a natural tendency to defend ourselves yeah. uh, and procreate. So that is, whereas the female has much broader brush, much bigger responsibility. So society really needs to reevaluate because the last... Well, they all say, the, the, the research says that it changed when we became agricultural, until while we were hunter-gatherers, that dynamic where the female... I wouldn't say led the sexual culture, but certainly was the prime driver of what went on. When the, the female wanted to, have, to procreate, she, had, she went out there and then the male stood up and said, we're here, we're ready, come on, choose us. Yes. Hmm. Now, for the last 30,000 years, males have taken control because we needed to identify our offspring. Prior to that, it didn't matter. We just did it and as long as some of these kids are our offspring, we've passed our genetic line on. But when we became agricultural, we needed our offspring to help us to grow the crops
0: yeah that makes sense you know I've got quite a lot of admiration for the female ostrich
2: really <laughs> yes. tell me why Well, yeah. because
0: um she will go and lay her egg and dump it on on the man that who's who has mm. in, you know fertilized her and leave him with it
2: yeah see yeah. you later yeah.
0: and then he has to sit on it and look after it and hatch it mm. Isn't
2: that fabulous? Well, many <laughs> if if you look at nature, there are many species Fengless. where the female will actively do things <clears> to trick the male into thinking it's the father.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, and in, in some cases, it'll be I'll I'll procreate with that male, but I'll get that male to come and sit on the eggs. Yes. And poor poor males haven't got a clue who's doing what to whom. You know. <laughs> so it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a natural part of nature, and humans shouldn't be regarded as any different. That's
1: right. It tries
2: to be
0: yeah i mean i can't so, imagine I
2: spend a lot of time with her.
0: not many women would go and just leave their baby with a, with a guy and then you know disappear
2: no, but, I mean, in the hunter-gatherer cave, yeah. you probably... The females would have shared everything. They would have supported the males. I mean, it would have been a homogenous be, community. It, community,
1: yeah, yeah, it community, would have been a community. Club, so
2: yeah, it would have been a community. And I think matter. we just have to look at the Amazonian Indians' cultures. You'll probably find that still going on yeah. in some of those tribes that are very much community-based.
1: Yes. Whereas we sort of tend to be in, like, in, in our society, <laughs> it tends tend to be very much, as you say, mm. very much, Okay, well, that's mine. This is mine, and that's you know. So it it tends to it tends to actually have a detrimental effect. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I
2: think I mean talking about the um, the the what the attitude in 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 the UK or in Britain about our sexuality and how we have this uh, belief that we're repressed. I agree, we we have. But if you go back, it was actually quite interesting. In the news at the moment, there is a certain member of the uh, the uh, royal family that's okay. in, in the press a lot, yes. and they were doing a comparison to the how the media would have written about it if it had been George Third, the Prince of Wales of yes. 250 200, years ago, because he was uh, real out there. He had all sorts of stuff going on. <laughs> he, this he, is it? He, he was a glutton. he was everything. But he was doing everything. But what what was interesting was that the way the media handled it in those days in the Victorian era, was that it was completely suppressed and marginalised. We didn't talk about it at yeah. all. Mm. And if you look back to our Victorian, the Victorian era, prior, he he was, I'm trying to think, uh, He, uh, yeah. So basically, when we got into the Victorian era, we also got into the intellectual era. And the problem we had was that suddenly we were discovering all these intellectual things. But, and, and so intellectualism became sort of the fashion and we were above the animal kingdom. We were way beyond the animal kingdom. But the one thing that they couldn't fathom was that when they looked out of their living room window into the fields and saw a couple of cows having sex or the dogs having sex, it looked awfully like what they did up in their own bedroom. Yeah. And that was a real problem. So it, we could only, society said, OK, if we are these incredibly evolved intellectuals, Of course we've got to procreate, so we are allowed to have sex for procreation purposes, but that's all it is. It's only about procreation. Mm -hmm. So in, in the upper echelons of society, females were not allowed to have an orgasm. That was, you know, that bad. So females didn't have orgasms. If they did want, ask for sex, then they were diagnosed with hysteria and sent to asylums and yeah. had all sorts of things. And males, well, of course, these poor men, you know, they are procreative animals, so we have to let them have this outlet. They can't they can't do it at home because their wives obviously don't want to have sex. So we will send them to these these women who live in Soho who do it for money, but they're not proper women, they're, they're you know. Yeah, they're just and just so kind of they the had drunk. a very confused yeah. attitude. Yeah. And I think that's what we still have a little bit of, that guilt of the... We can't have sex for pleasure.
0: Yes, I think there was a... I mean, as far as I know, my limited knowledge, there was kind of a rise of of fetishism and eroticism in the Victorian era because of all that Mm. suppression. Mm. And they started to become very fetishised about fabrics, for example. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it started to become quite... Um, <laughs> I'm not going to use the word dysfunctional, but but
2: um, it had to come. It, it, had it the the street, outlet had yeah, to come. Yeah, exactly It
0: did, didn't it? So it was coming out in different ways, yeah. Like, yeah. In, in more kind of obscure it, ways. Yeah, yeah. obscure kind of, ways. Isn't before. it
1: kind of funny when you look at it that way and sort of think, well, in centuries gone by, like what we consider as dysfunctional now, or whatever, or or now we're trying to find we're trying to find labels for everything, mm. and you look back and you think, okay, even going back to Greek mm. times, or whatever men on men, Roman, it wasn't something you actually did. You didn't even question it. It was just there, and sometimes you'd get that, and men would make up. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was quite normal, so you didn't actually look at it and think, oh, there are two guys there who seem to be very much into each other. It was just part of the, the make-up, or two girls.
2: Well, whatever. the Roman centurion was encouraged when out fighting to have... relationship with another centurion because it made the cohort much stronger if he loved his fellow soldier Yes. Then they fought even harder. He still had his wife and kids back in Rome. It was yeah. part of the culture. It wasn't, it wasn't denigrated or yeah. criticised. It was allowed and encouraged to happen. And many, even some of the main... Alexander the Great was always having relationships with his fellow soldiers. Oh, so yeah. But he still was married and he had loads of kids. You know, there was not a, a shock factor around yeah. it at all. But also, I mean, yeah, it's interesting you say that because another story I tell is when... About 10, 12 years ago, a guy came to me for a massage, a sensual massage, and he came because he'd never been touched by another man. He wanted to find out what it was like to be... Uh, uh, he was he was heterosexual, but exploring, but didn't want to go off and do something, you know, online yes. or anything like that. And when he arrived, he was very, very nervous. He sat down and I said, look, what, what is it that makes you feel so nervous? He said, oh, this is so intimate. I went, okay, let's put this into perspective. It's lunchtime, yeah? Have you had lunch? Yes, he said. I said, what did you eat? he said, well, I had a sandwich up at Pret on the way down here. I said, okay, where is that sandwich now? He said, it's in my stomach. I said, okay, so do you know who made that sandwich? Do you know where the ingredients came from? He went, no. Okay, so you put something inside your body and I'm going to put my hands on your body. Which do you think is more intimate? He went, oh, I haven't thought of it like that. And I said, the only reason you've done that <laughs> is because society says you can. A hundred years ago, maybe even less, 50 years ago, yes. you would not have put anything in your body that you can cons- to consume that you didn't know where it came from because you would probably get ill and maybe die, yeah. so you didn't do it. Yeah. But 150 years ago, 200 years ago, people were having sex all over the place. Yes, it's just that attitudes in society have changed the rules, yeah. and we don't. Think- so when you present it like that, and people go, oh, "Actually, you're right." You know, it's it's only a modern it's modern a perception that we've we've come up with this whole sort of fear around sex because society says. You know, you go back to the 1940s and 50s, I mean, it was so contained and everything was so suppressed. You know, re- horrendous. And, and we're talking about, in my case, you know, my sister, <laughs> poor old Jilly, her sex education at school in the 19... When was she? She's 20, 17 years older. She was taught that... She was taught by watching fireflies have sex. Oh, my God. So until she was 14, <laughs> she couldn't understand how human beings flew in order to have sex. Wow. <laughs> and that was 1955, yeah. 54, yeah. that she was being taught that. Not yeah. that long ago. Yeah. You
0: think there needs to be more open discussion? There needs to be more um, kind of, how can I say, freedom around
2: sex? I think it's... Discussion. I think definitely because, I mean, this. The, it's interesting because often I'm asked about what do I think about porn and the porn industry and yes. the porn on the internet. It's a double-edged sword. Clearly, there's an awful lot of stuff that's out there that is... Um, encouraging people to do things and get involved in things that they maybe shouldn't. But at the same time, it's forcing an issue. And I think by default, we as a society have to say, the porn industry is not gonna go away. And we all in some way, shape or form, we look at it, watch it, whatever. Only the minority tend to go down the more darker end of it. The majority mm-hmm. of people use it for entertainment. But young people are using it and they're getting younger and younger. And we're never going to stop that while mm-hmm. they can access Twitter, this, that, whatever. So we need to take the bull by the horns and we need to go into the classroom. And I would love to see, you know, a, 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 in a classroom, a classroom full of 13 year olds and the teacher goes in, Right. Today we're going to be talking about anal sex. Mm. Yes. And be as honest and upfront, because that's what you were watching last night. And we're now going to give you the reality of anal sex and what can happen. And demystify it. (laughs) And demystify it. Yeah, I agree. Because that's the only way we're going to do it. And we have to force that issue and make it. The moment a human being becomes sexual, we need to talk about masturbation. Mm. I mean, you know, up until 20 years ago, no one mentioned the word masturbation. At least now we're talking about it, and we all know we do it but we need to talk about it when it starts cuz you know for most kids i mean i had i have one client of mine who he's he's a very out there guy and he cannot um orgasm unless in certain circumstances and he's phobic of his own sperm wow <laughs> and he's he's very good looking he's a personal trainer you would never believe it. he's a, he's he's an actor he does all sorts of big out stuff he does lots of things publicly but when it comes to sex, he cannot let go because he grew up in an environment where his parents were both teachers and both priests and sex was a dirty word. And the last thing he could do as a 12 year old was stain the sheets. Mm. So he used to catch it in his hand, run to the bathroom, wash it off. Oh. And, and he's now, what, 42 years old and it's still there. Wow.
0: Wow. This goes to show, doesn't it, mm. how much we are programmed and um, you know, conditioned by, mm. by those experiences in our childhood.
2: I have one lady who's been married for 20 years and her husband doesn't know that every time they've had sex, she's gone down and the only way she can orgasm is to sit on the sofa arm. Right. And she did that as a 12, 13-year-old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's her only way and she I can't talk to him about it.
1: Me,
0: yeah. uh, going back just briefly, um, a friend of mine told me that he was quite horrified by hearing um, a very young girl shout across the road to a young boy and if you play your cards right, you can give me you can give me anal sex tonight, like really loudly. At that age, she probably didn't even know what it was. So there's this mm. sort of <laughs> there's this use of um sexual references with the younger generation and sexualization of the younger generation, and they don't even know what they're doing. No? Would you not agree?
2: Well I would and and you know, let's go let's go back twenty-five, thirty, forty years, she might have said for whatever reason she was boasting it would yes. have been you can touch my tits tonight or 20 yes. years before you can kiss me tonight yeah mm. you know the motivation is there it's just the, the, yeah, that that it, it's moved from the boundary point yes. of view yes. and i think <clears throat> yeah i mean i think uh, unfortunately sex and what you what they see in the internet internet is now in the classroom become that sort of you know, bravado thing. Did you do this last night? And each Mm -hmm. one's pushing the other one on. Yeah. Um, No different to what kids have always done. They've They've always done something they've pushed on. But now it's in that environment, so people are getting into stuff that they they shouldn't. I mean, a 12-, 13-year-old watching some of the more hardcore ends of BDSM and kink and fetish could be quite frightening because... In the BDSM and Kink world there are very, very strict rules and regulations as to how one behaves with safe words, with permission, with consent. A thirteen year old doesn't understand that. Yeah. And he sees on the internet someone, you know, whipping someone, spanking somebody, he thinks, Oh, I'll pick up my cricket bat and have a go tomorrow. <coughs> you know. he doesn't realize
0: more regulation, would you not agree?
2: With the porn industry, yeah, I don't think kids. I don't think it's that's the way around. I think I think if you re- try to regulate yes, you can put You can request, but there's always stuff going to go deeper down on the internet you can't get to, and kids will always get rounded. I think it's more about if all kids go to school, that's where it's got to be dealt with. But it's
1: actually got to start at home.
2: And it's got to start at home. Parents have got to stop being embarrassed about talking Mm. about sex and sit them down and say, look, come on, we're going to talk about this. Mm. Are you watching porn? If you are, we're going to have a conversation around it
0: yeah parents need a bit bit more proactive about Mm. it would you not agree
1: i think if you're less if you're less uncomfortable about it then all the things you talk about then become all right okay well what if i do this what's that all about and
2: And maybe i mean interesting last week i was down in cardiff and i was doing a, a talk to 90 university students who belong to a charity called sexpression and sexpression is in just in universities and it's in effect, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, university students, who are trained to go into schools and talk to school kids from the age of 11 to 18 about sex. Right. And I think that's a very... It's a clever way of doing it because it's young people teaching young people. Obviously, what they're being taught, the students aren't that experienced, obviously, but they're, at least it's an introduction. But I think um, I think definitely we need to have much better sex education at all levels. And I think we need to have sex education for adults.
1: Yes. There's a lot
2: of people out there, myself included, 10 years ago, I was very naive, 15 years ago, very naive around Mm. a lot of the stuff that I know now.
0: You cheeky question, <coughs> it's one I got from Shaz. Are you in a
2: relationship right now? Yes, yeah, I've been five years with my partner, and it's an interesting one. My partner and I, she and I have been uh, together since 2000. And what are we now? 1812. Mm. She met me knowing what I did mm. and was very happy with it. Yeah. Never thought saw herself in a relationship with me, but three weeks later, we were. Yes, I'm pleased to say that she would say if she was here that it's transformed her confidence sexually because not only obviously she feels she doesn't feel judged by me um but also she's heard so many stories and heard so many other people talk about their stuff it's put her stuff into perspective as as i my my sex life has been put into perspective but what um what i think is uh interesting also is that she works in a profession she's in education and she, because of the nature of her job, she works with children uh in who've been taken into care. Right. She has to be so careful about what she says to whom because yes. my <coughs> association with sex yes. could then imply that then she so she can't be involved she wants sure. to be involved what I do, but unfortunately it's still seen as oh but, and there are people in in oh, yeah. that world who are very judgmental yeah, totally. um so it's about it's about Integrating it into the educational world so that we don't have that attitude.
1: But then that, and that, I suppose part of that again, I understand you have to be careful how how you say things, how you do things. But I think isn't isn't that again down to the facts of the way we're quite um, we're not, we're still not open enough about mm. sex. For yeah, for sex. absolutely. So therefore, it means yeah. oh no 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 we can't talk about it that way. Mm. You know, and, and you, you hear even parents talking about it,
2: oh no. Well, let's look at the role of the godparent. How, how Most of us end up with godparents that we hardly ever see. Yes. Maybe get the odd present. Why don't we make it a role of the godparent to talk to the children about sex? Because it is awkward talking to your own <coughs> parents about sex and vice versa. You don't really yes. want to hear what your mum and dad did and how you got made. But if it's an <coughs> uncle or an aunt or a friend of the family, there ought to be somebody in that... And again, go back to the Greek era. There was a culture where someone <coughs> external for the media would come in and educate... Yes. ..sex. And yes. I think maybe we need to bring that back and well. say, as a godparent, OK, it's all going to be godfaring stuff and you're going to do what godparents are meant to do, which most of us don't do. No. <coughs> but your other role is to sit down with my son, daughter, in 15 years' time and say, right, we're going to have a talk about sex. Yes. Yeah. So maybe we redefine the role of the godparent. It's oh, the sex parent. Just yes. <laughs> the Sex parent. Well
0: the, the, the thing is though is that since we've had a lot of kinda of like um sexual abuse scales in this country often it can sometimes be the uncle in the family that, that, that abuses the child. So there is that that kind of um that fear now that's embedded now. Of course there is our, but one um, has to but one has to put the it into,
2: but one has to put that into perspective. Yes. We hear that in the media we do. a lot. So we can't assume that every aunt or oh, uncle Oh we can't.
0: I agree. And course. there has to
2: be there's always going to be an element of that, yeah. but I think it is something that uh, and you could say the same thing. There's you hear in the papers about stepfathers and fathers, yes, and stepmothers and stepmothers. So did. it doesn't necessarily have but to be sure. an uncle or the next door neighbour. Uh, that's uh, that's the type of person it is. Yeah. And
1: again, surely if if we talk about it, half I think mean, half those things occur because it's not talked about. Mm. Because it's so under the carpet. So oh no oh, oh, no 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 no. At the same time, it's like well, you shouldn't
2: know about that. Exactly. Well, take a take a you know a fictional scenario. There, there's a child that has a a a godparent, a parent or whatever, talks openly about sex, goes to school, starts talking about with a friend and the friend goes, oh, well, that's what's happening at home with me. Well, that shouldn't be happening. So you need to educate to educate, as it were. So if we get bring it out there, but at the moment, kids aren't saying things or people aren't saying things because sex is a dirty word anyway Mm. and I can't talk about it and I can't tell anybody that this is what's happening at home. So I, I just keep it to myself. Whereas if other children can be open about it, It encourages other children then to reveal maybe secrets that they're keeping. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I remember working um, as a telephone fundraiser and I remember talking to a woman, I think she might have been South American, and she made some comment about this country saying how awful it was for all the sexual abuse that was coming out in the news and how disgusting it was. And she sort of implied that um, she didn't want to be here anymore in this country because we're all sexual predators, you know. That was the uh, (laughs) yeah yeah, but I mean (laughs) you know it's just that it's it's a judgment about it you know because it's
2: it made public and you know. But I mean, that's the only way to to, to bring it out. I mean, Absolutely. but then you could yeah, have you said. The way it's you could, but yeah. then you could have said the same thing for homosexuality and yeah. how a lot of countries view the UK—that yes. we're all homosexual yeah. here because we make it public. Absolutely. it doesn't mean that it. You know, it, yeah. it's just because they suppress it. I mean, look Absolutely. at Russia and yes. and the suppression of the media yeah. there in yeah. homosexuality. It doesn't mean it doesn't
1: exist. Or oh, parts of the West Indies, gotta say, same thing. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's just and it's just again, it's the way it's approached and how people deal with it. Because if you if you're open about it, and you talk about it, and and it's not, it is in a sense normalize it. But it's at the same time, it's just be aware of it. So the fact is, is that then when you are in that situation, or as a a kid, you know, as kids, we all have we all have that thing. If we don't, you don't know what's going on, you're still discovering yourself. But if you're in a safe environment, you know, the people around you, and you know, what's going on, then, oh, that's not right. You know, the, or, mm. or, or that's right. But then the other side of that is, is that when the media get hold of it, I think half their thing is that it's either to titillate or it's, it's sensationalize to sensationalise it, it. it. It's to turn it into this. Oh, you can't! it, It's this, it's that. As yeah. opposed to talking rationally about it, as as opposed to getting a balanced view, they never they're never balanced about it. Mm. I think that seems to cause a.
2: Well, well. it feeds itself, you know, the media write about stuff to get the viewers, uh, get the readers, the viewers or the clicks or whatever it is. They do that because then the advertisers will go to them because and and so they make money on that. So it's a vicious circle that we've got to come somehow break and actually... The only reason people go and read these articles is because it is titillating, it is sensationalised because in their world they don't talk about it but I can read a story about what this person did and that person yes. did. Well, if you make these persons' lives more interesting then what they're reading here becomes actually bland and boring which means that the click rate goes down which means the media then stop writing about it because they're not getting the advertisers and so on and so forth. So we have to change the way it works. Yes. Um, and by bringing sexuality out and talking about it and normalizing it a bit like we have done with the world of food i mean you know if you think of the way we now look at food we we have different diets we have different nutritional benefits of it we 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 have you know indulgent food we have healthy food we have creative food we have food of every different hmm. why can't we view it with our sexuality in the mm-hmm. same way yeah, exactly you yeah, know and just look at it on a spectrum yeah
0: no i completely agree with you i mean you know um there there are there is a lot of um, how can I say? For example, Africa. There's lots of issues mm. with with sexuality in Africa. Am I right in saying that? I've seen some awful videos of yeah. of people being oppressed for their choice of sexuality. Mm. And we're lucky that we're not in that position here. That we're much more liberated mm. in in mm. our attitudes. But we still have all this this stuff around um, the uh the you know the the the, the sexual abuse the embarrassment and, and the repression and, you know, the trauma from childhood with mm. all those mm. issues. And um, obviously you're here to help people with these kinds of things, right? Mm. Yeah. And um, so your your website, which is Intimacy Matters.
2: Intimacy Matters, yeah. Yes,
0: Intimacy Matters. So people can go on there and find out about you a bit more.
2: Yes, I mean, I, I cover many areas from the point of view of what I do. I, I see people for treatments. Sometimes yes. that's coming in with somebody, you know, has an issue to overcome, maybe through trauma or maybe just through not not knowing their body or their situation. Yeah. Uh I see people who come to me because they've been married for 15 years, the spark's gone out of their sex lives and they're going, how can we re-energize it? We're thinking of going off to a party, we're thinking of bringing a third person in, but we're a bit yeah. unsure. Yeah. So how can we do that? They'll come yeah. to me, we might. I mean, yesterday I had a couple came along where she had a massage while he stayed in the room. He then joined in so that I could then teach him a few things about what I was doing. So Mm. he went away and the the message I got this morning was, you know, and she's always had an issue around reaching orgasm. Did she orgasm? And he doesn't, he didn't know whether she did and all sorts of things. Mm. So we have a conversation around that. So it's done in a, in as real a way as possible, but it's kept in a therapeutic uh, sort of boundary con- contained area. So that, then there's the workshops and I yeah. do that and I right. do the public speaking as well. Okay. <coughs>
0: so people can invite you to come and do um, a public
2: uh, public speaking? Public speaking or just, do... I get people contact me yeah. from abroad who just want to talk on Skype. Yeah. I've got one later today. Someone's Great. wanted to talk about his relationship with his his partner. Amazing. And so that'll be done on Skype. So sometimes I'll speak to people from Australia, America. And, and whereabouts
0: are you doing your workshops? I, I London, work
2: from I work from London Bridge. I've okay. got my own. I've got a, a premises that I work yes. from and live in. It's a proper live work premises with Fabulous. studios and a oh, okay. treatment room and everything.
0: Sounds really great.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I, because I was hospitality trained, I also yeah. run the odd party. So okay. you know, I All bring right. that side into it as well. I've but bringing
0: list. <laughs>
2: bring that in, in as a sort of thing. But again, you know, look at the adult sex parties. Yeah. I get a lot of people who go to these parties yeah. and they feel either. Either they're intimidated because everybody seems to be having a great time and all the men are walking around with raging grey erections, and <laughs> I haven't. Or the women are going, Do I have to have sex with everybody here? Yeah. And, it, you know, and again, right. it, the, the world of the, the adult party <laughs> needs to, to mature, that actually it's a party that is. Fun, but no one has to be obligated to do anything. Yes. And the beauty of it with yeah. what I do is I just stick up a few massage beds and say, right, you're not going to have sex, but you can give each other lots of erotic massage. And everyone goes, oh, that's great. So we don't actually have to, you know, do no, things with say. other people yes. unless we want to. But we could always poke that person or that person or join in there. So you make it much more of a homogenous thing. Yes. And the other advantage of a party with uh, massages, everyone gets covered in oil, so they can't put the clothes back on. So you end up with <laughs> 75 people walking around naked. <laughs> Drinking their champagne and their smoked salmon, their oysters, oh, just so having great. a normal yeah, yeah. and it all becomes... <laughs> and, and that's the other side
1: of the things that I find quite interesting as well, what you're saying about that, is that our, our, um, our, our, the way we are with our bodies, in the, fa- in the sense that if you sit there and say, okay, well, we're getting naked. People will be like, yeah, but can't do that. And then you say, well, okay, do you go to the beach? yeah yeah. Yeah. um do you wear swimming costumes and how do you feel about that and you're around people and sometimes you'll be on a topless beach and how do you feel about that you know and then suddenly it's like well yeah but that's it's like yeah but you're still dealing with the same profession isn't it it's it's about
2: what you've been allowed to do but i i when i do the workshops often at the beginning people are obviously quite nervous they don't know anybody they know that you know, there's going to be a group of people lying on massage beds ready to be massaged. They're going to be naked. The The participants don't necessarily have to be naked. In fact, I tend to do that on a staggered thing. But invariably, the question thing is, uh, well, you know, it's, it's all a bit strange, a bit weird, I'm very nervous. And then three hours later, the number of people who come up and say, paraphrasing, and this has been said to me more than a few occasions, but paraphrasing, they'll go, the only thing weird about today is that it wasn't weird. Yes. <laughs> actually, just feels so normal. Yeah. Yes. And it's so quick, and I think yeah. there is an inbuilt there's an ingrained part of us that goes back to that 350, four hundred thousand years of being just out there, because it's only such a small part of our culture that we've been contained and boundary. Yes. I mean, yes. five thousand years. and I think once we do strip off and once we do just, and we see each other in the different body shapes, sizes, whatever, it actually becomes about the person. it's not about the physicality, yes. it's about the person that's right. and, and all that other stuff is stripped away,
3: yeah.
2: I think there's nothing more freeing than actually going on to in, 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 um Where is it? Uh, Gran Canaria, Maspalomas, they have the most enormous nudist beaches. But it is... I mean, we're talking thousands. Yes. But the fascinating thing is is that the, you've got the family beach, which is clothed, then you have the straight, the heterosexual nudist beach, which must be at least a 1,000 people, and then you've got the gay one. But walking along the shoreline, you've got this... Ever, all the tourists are just walking up and down. And mm-hmm. obviously the people are going into the sea to swim, so you get this bizarre sort of situation of people striding down, of all shapes and sizes, with clothed people walking up and down here, the gay mm-hmm. people moving over here, <laughs> the families moving over yeah, there. Yes. It's like, actually... Everybody's sort of homogeneously <coughs> moving yeah. around, and no one to an island. And this is Spain, a Catholic country. Well, yes. Gran Canaria. Yeah. Well, I've, you know. seen, I've seen
0: something similar in my bear, but not to that extent. Yeah. Are, I've, uh, saw, I've seen a, um, a very big, muscular guy on his mobile phone talking business, striding completely stark bollock naked down down the. You know, I down think the beach, that should be quite. And awesome.
1: shouting down, down the phone, help. you yeah. know, it was
0: yeah. really hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Getting an all over town, obviously.
1: That's <laughs> <a bit too. laughs> And then you go to the states and there's this is so yeah. strange because they're so yeah. old, yeah, in they one sense like it, they? they're so well no it's but it's weird though isn't it because they're so yeah. puritanical in one sense another the sense they're the most um sexualized.
0: they're very sexualized. very sexualized yeah with their Big pop stars
2: and the porn industry but porn is it. the biggest porn industry in the world mm. isn't it really but again isn't it isn't it you said earlier on about how in the victorian era it, it, the sexuality came out other ways right. i'm a great believer if you if you look back in history And I think even today you can look at countries and cultures today where if the sexuality is pushed down, often it comes up in aggression and anger. Yes. and if you look at the Victorian era, you know, we Ooh, were suppressing sexuality, what do we do? We conquered the <laughs> fucking world. Yes. yes. And I yes. just stand in the middle of Trafalgar Square and going, this is the evidence of sexual repression, oh, all yeah. these enormous great buildings oh, that we built. And all these big phallic symbols <laughs> around the place <laughs> as well. And you look at the countries now that, are, you know, in the Middle East and yes. the countries that have this sexual repression, it also brings up. But How if you think about it also, going yes. back to my archetypes, yes. if you're in a sexually repressive culture and it becomes aggressive that means the mothers are then giving birth to babies from a stressed pregnancy which then makes them all fast lane drivers who are self-interested often quite aggressive and Mm. competitive so it perpetuates it so when you look at the difference between europe and say the middle east and how we're much more liberal and open we've had what 70 years now of peace. Mm. So most of the pregnancies are relatively de-stressed. Yes. So we are much more community-based as a, as a culture, and we're much mm. more empathetic and thinking and considerate, hence democracy and what have you. Whereas if you look at the states, you've got that, but you've got it on central, you've got the outer states, and then you've got the middle states. And mm. What's going on there now, you can really see those differences. Whereas actually in the center, you've got all that sexual repression. And where does all the, where's all the far right stuff coming from? From those states. It feeds itself.
1: Have
2: you ever heard of the um, um, incels, involuntary celibates? Incels started about 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, It was actually a girl who went on the internet and just said, I'm fed up with being involuntary celibate. I'm celibate, but I don't want to be. It got hijacked at some point by young males. It now has about 80,000 members on the dark net. They're predominantly white, Caucasian, Europe American. Yeah. And they often have, for want of a better description, they are socially, what's the word? Socially inept. <laughs> challenge, socially challenged. Challenge. I like oh, the way they met for it's whatever reason. So whether that's words. whether that's because of religion, whether that's yeah. because of, of suppression, whether yes. it's to do with just mental health and what have you, but they're, and so what this does is it feeds them and they're strongly misogynistic, hate oh, women dear. because women are withholding sex from oh, them. Oh, Men really who are like having sex that. are the enemy. Mm-mm. And five of the mass shootings in America have been attributed to The shooters have been members of the incel group
0: oh how interesting i had absolutely no idea that's
2: really fascinating Um, another tale on one of my interviews recently with mistress ivy who's a a professional dominatrix my question to her when she first started was what type of clients come. And she said, when I started 14, 15 years ago, mostly older men who've been spanked or caned at school, they yeah. want to sort of relive it. Oh, yes. She said, but I don't see them now because they're dying out and <laughs> we don't cane <laughs> and spank at school. Yeah. I said, so who now? And she said, yeah. well, I see a lot of 27, 28, 29-year-old male virgins. How yeah.
0: interesting. And I
2: said, so why are they coming to you? She said, because they are not functional enough to be able to have sex. Mm. sex. Penetrative sex has become yeah. a scary place for them, yeah. but they've been telling all their friends they are having it so they're living a lie, they're angry with themselves, they're angry with everybody, so they want to be spanked and caned instead. And that's the nearest they can wow. get to having intimacy.
0: I think wow. it's a lucrative business being a dominatrix, you know. I did consider it as a career once. <laughs> well, I liked the idea because I'm an older sister type, you know. Yeah. I'm very much, you know, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm quite bossy. Mm. And I thought, that I could pay lots of money. But then well. I thought again, because I've been to a few um, uh, fetish clubs mm. because when I was a student, I did a workplace with a woman that made rubber outfits. So she mm. took me to oh, a, couple, cool. a couple. So I had an experience of that. And I did witness a dominatrix with a load of old men queuing up to be um, spanked and whipped mm, in stocks, mm. and one gentleman was wearing a baby grow suit. Yeah, and wanted Adult to be. Baby, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure you've seen yeah. it all, Colin. You've I haven't seen, seen it, all, it all, but, I, but, uh, yeah, but, no. but again, um, you know, and I've witnessed all kinds <laughs> of things. And and one woman who was who was an expert in tying tying somebody up, suspended from the ceiling yeah, yeah. Shibari. Yeah. yes and what else have i seen i've seen people wearing the most bizarre outfits as well i saw a very remember seeing a very small guy wearing a, an all-in-one um, oh, rubber me. outfit yes and he was wearing a cowboy hat and then he had a ring with his tiny little penises hanging Mm -hmm. out of it. I couldn't understand that. Why display that? That's like... Well, you might find... Yeah, but you might find... Well,
2: the the, the displaying of his penis is probably just the sexual part of it, but you might find... That if he's wearing an all-in-one, what 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 rubber suit? Black rubber, yeah. I remember uh, feeling. Many of the fetishes and fantasies that people develop come again come from childhood and experiences that have taken that that the brain in those first three years has recognised as being in a safe place. So, for in the case of someone who wears uh, rubber and it's all tight, you might find that when they were offspring and my own partner's... It was interesting, we were having this conversation when we were travelling down to Sex and yeah. my own partner's daughter was in the back and they were talking about um, things as children and uh, my partner said, oh, yes, when when my eldest daughter was a baby, I used to swaddle her because she was always wriggling and so she used to get wrapped quite tightly because she was always yes, a wriggler right. in bed. And, and she turned around from the back seat and went well, maybe that's why I love it when my boyfriend lies on top of me. And then yeah. the mum then said, yes, and it's probably why you wrap yourself up in your duvet so tight. Yeah. So yes. she's recreating that yeah. sensation. So yeah. you might find the guy who's wearing the lycra suit and it's all in case, it yeah. might be nothing to do with sexuality. Just yeah. The sensation yeah. is taking that part of the brain that has no conscious memory of it yeah. back to that moment. Did I mention about the chloroform at my talk? Chloroform. Chloroform. Well, my no. book, my book is going to be called Chloroform to Climax. All oh, right. And the reason is because, and this shows you how early on our brain printing, our brain printing can be done. Yes. Can can be got corporate. So I was born in December 1959. I'm 60 in three weeks' time, and uh, <laughs> but happy birthday. And um, uh, I was born at home, and my mother. I was the fourth child by 11 years. So my mother, who was in her. Late 30s decided to have a maternity nurse or, yes. um, yeah, maternity nurse type thing. Um, I think they called her something else anyway. And the woman who was the maternity nurse was in her late 40s, early 50s, maybe even later than that. So she had been a nurse from maybe the 1910, 1920. And um, anyway, so I was put up in the nursery and I was brought down to be fed every now and again, etc., etc., etc. We're all on nine years and I'm at now prep school and I'm walking past the school kitchens with a load of other kids. And in fact, I remember I was running past it and mm. the smell from the kitchen that came out just rooted me to the spot. Now it wasn't a food smell, mm-hmm. they were cleaning the kitchens and it was like, wow. And all this stuff was, and I, I went into, all I can say is I went into heaven. It was the <laughs> most amazing euphoric feeling. And I've smelled it on quite a few occasions since, never quite as strong as that, apart from one other occasion. But it's always there and it always brings back the same sensation. When I was about 19, 20, I heard the story that this maternity nurse would bring me down to be fed and then take me back upstairs. Mm. And I had a reputation for the first four or five weeks of my life of being a really good baby, just slept. Mm. And one of my my mother turned around and told me that actually my father had gone up one time to find find me, bring me down because I hadn't been brought down. And the maternity nurse was lying flat on the floor and she was an ether sniffer and she was out for the count and on the side was all her paraphernalia and everything. Do
0: you wow. remember this story? Yeah. Yes, you did And it story.
2: And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't um, uncommon for women of that era because they used to use certain things as early versions of epidurals. So they would right. carry them in their bags and then often often they would take it. Anyway, so that was that. And I managed to find a bottle of um, ether and sniff it and it didn't do anything for me. So obviously that wasn't it. And then about 10, 12 years ago, I was telling this story. And my middle sister, who was 14 at the time, turned around and said, Oh, no, no, she wasn't just an ether sniffer. She was chloroforming you. Oh,
0: my God. Hence.
2: <laughs> which is why you always say, well behaved as a. Yeah. And that's the smell. Yeah. Wow. Is, so if I smell bleach, I get that slightly euphoric feeling. And that means that my brain is holding on to that, not only holding on to the memory of the smell, yes. it can then send back those emotions of me being four the weeks old.
0: Yes. Well, I'm glad I didn't bleach the place before you came in. (laughs) That could have been really embarrassing.
2: (laughs) But it just shows how those memories... So whatever goes on, you know, we we may not ever have any conscious memory of it, Mm -hmm. but if I bet you if I went to... You know, if I went, if I, I mean, I'd love to actually might get hold of some chloroform one day and see if it <laughs> makes me feel really relaxed. Because yeah. the yeah. more relaxed your body yeah. is, the more turned on you become. Yeah, it makes complete yeah.
0: sense. You know, Colin, I think we've had a fantastically <laughs> juicy chat here. I, yeah. I, I don't know if you would agree with me, but amazing. And I'm sure that, that our listeners are going to get so much from this chat.
2: Really? well i hope
0: so and they can go to your website intimacymatters.co.uk mm. and they can contact you via your website yeah Is that yeah, right? yeah yes. or phone
2: me or, or phone whatever me, yeah. i'm always accessible amazing yeah.
0: amazing i tend to
2: work seven days a week yeah. unless i'm on holiday or something yeah.
0: keep me on your mailing list for yeah. the workshops i'm Will really do. interested yeah. really fascinated i really want to thank you for your generosity and your time not at all you've been extraordinary <laughs> and um and, and hopefully we can do another one at some other point anytime yeah, sure. yeah it, it, and if you
2: want to stick it, on to a particular subject value. you know I can talk yeah, about there's that there's always obviously.
0: subjects it, I think yeah. it's an infinite amount of subjects around sexuality and, and the human psyche for sure mm. so thank you very much and this was um, Charlotte and Shaz at The Mothership Connected oh, a and thank you everybody for listening I really appreciate it and thank you Colin you've been amazing my pleasure thank you
3: to the tick tock, don't To the tick tock, don't To the tick tock, don't To the tick tock, That's not about sex, baby. Let's talk about, Let's, talk about, let's talk about sex.